Hi, you're listening to Untold Stories, Voices of Adoption. This is Marilyn. And this is Erin. And today we are so excited to have with us Crystal, who was adopted into her family at the age of 17. Is that right, Crystal? Yeah, that's right. 17. Yes. 11 years now. 11 years. That's awesome. Well, thanks for being with us, and thanks for your willingness to um, to share your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. I think it's great to finally get the viewpoint of the adoptee. So yes. this is great what y'all are doing. Yeah, thank you. And we're so excited. Um, a Crystal came, we found, we met Crystal through the um, adult adoption group. So we're excited to have you. Can you tell us a little about your story before adoption? Yeah, definitely. So um, I lived obviously with my biological family um, and they were, it was my, comprised of my mom three siblings, two sisters and a brother, and my stepdad. Um, My stepdad turned out to be really abusive, um, and my mother didn't do much in the way of stopping the abuse. And Mm -hmm. so by the time I turned about um, 16, early 17, I just kind of decided that I needed to get out of that situation. Um, And so several attempts of me running home didn't work, but the last time stuck. And I was working for my new mom, Um, And we just kind of had an instant connection and she didn't know what was going on, but she knew something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And so So you were not living at home with your biological family when you met your mom. Yeah. When I met my, well, I was, I was kind of going back and forth, but um, primarily I was, but I'd run away, run away a few times. Yeah. Um, Where would you be sleeping? Where did you go when you ran away? Wow. So um, mostly to friends' houses. I kind of bounced around a lot. Um, one time I ended up in South Carolina with a friend just because we just neither of us had anywhere to go and we just drove and it took us down to South Carolina mm-hmm. where we just slept overnight until we figured out what we were going to do the next day. Um, I ended up, my last place I ended up was she and I together went to her best friend's house. Um, it was a two bedroom apartment and she already had three people living there. Wow. And so <laughs> I ended up living in the walk-in closet that connected the bathroom to the bedroom and a sleeping bag. And mm-hmm. all I had was like a few days worth of clothes, but it was actually really fun. I think I, in my head, I made it like a sleepover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I tried to make the best of it. Well, it um, just speaks to how bad it must have been at home yeah. that you, you know, that that felt like a sleepover, yeah. Yeah. you know, in yeah. comparison. Definitely. So, yeah. And so it was actually while I was living there, um, my new mom was, uh, she and I had, we stopped working together at that point. We were working throughout that whole time of me running away. Okay. Um, But that situation kind of, when you put, we were all teenagers that were living there and then the grandmother. And so when you put four teenagers Mm. together, teenage girls, no less, things get combative and stuff. And so it just wasn't a permanent place for me to stay. Yeah. Yeah. So my new mom was like, you know what, just pack your stuff up and come come over here. And she already had three kids, my three little brothers now, and my dad, um, they're married, um, and they were living in a three-bedroom house, but she was like, you'll have to share a bed with the youngest. And in my head, I'm like, I'll have a bed, you know, so that's mm -hmm. perfectly fine. Um, And that was, that's what started it all. Okay. Was it, what was going through your head when you talked to her about your situation for the first time? Like, was it hard for you to admit that or open up about what was going on at home? Yeah, it was difficult because she saw me as this happy-go-lucky kind of person, which Mm -hmm. that's my natural disposition. I'm kind of pretty Mm -hmm. cheery for the most part. 
Um, and so that was kind of the light that she had that she right. had always kn- knew me to be in. Um, and so to tell her that something so stormy was actually happening behind the happiness was a little bit intimidating for me because I didn't I'm want sure. her to see me in a different light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, like I said before, she had always she always knew something was wrong. Yeah, I was, um, I was wondering if she kind of sensed yeah, it. Yeah, mm-hmm. she had, because while I was working with her one day, he actually showed up, and You're the, my uh, stepfather step-father. actually showed up looking for me mm-hmm. um, and was trying to like take me away and stuff. But I tried to tell her, oh, it's not a big deal, you know, it's mm-hmm. fine, I'm fine, kind of thing. Um, but she know she knew, mm-hmm. you know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I actually told her, she just was very, she was very calm about it, which made me happy, like, to yes. know that she would take it and hear mm-hmm. it and then not change how she felt about me yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so it was, it was, it was too, just like a, oh, yeah, a wave. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, okay. She invited you into your house, in her house. Um, so tell me, like, the first couple of days, like, how, was that surreal? How did that feel? Yeah. The first couple of days were terrifying, actually, um, because- my new dad was there and mm-hmm. I just had this huge distrust of men, oh, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. And like I said, I was sharing a bed with the youngest who was had just turned two. Mm. Um, and so he had, and he had just transitioned into a big boy bed. Okay. And so he, my dad would constantly have to come in at night and check on him. Mm. Um, so it was that just like, yeah. oh my God, what's happening kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't sleep for the first few days. I just, yeah. just didn't sleep. And when I knew the first at the first sight of my little brother waking up, I would just get on the floor mm-hmm. or pretend I had to use the bathroom or something just to kind of remove myself mm-hmm. from the room. And he also slept with the door open because that was yeah. they left the light on for him and stuff. And I my security blanket is to close the door. Mm-hmm. So that it just was. Yeah. Terrifying that for those first couple of days. Actually, for the first few months. I think it's really interesting to think about, like, families who've brought kids in who've experienced trauma like you mm-hmm. have. and But oftentimes that happens at so much of a younger age. So you at 17 probably could process that a little bit more and mm-hmm. relate to, like, okay, I'm fearful right now because men have done this to me. And yeah. and your behaviors were probably a little hard. If no, if people didn't know your story, mm-hmm. it would be like, why is she getting up to go to the bathroom six yeah. times a night yeah. or whatever you yeah. were doing? But that, that was such a sense of protection. And I think mm-hmm. kids do that on, you know, like that's how they are surviving these mm-hmm. horrible, abusive situations. Mm-hmm. Um and to, so to think about them being accepting of that and letting you sort of just be what you needed to yeah. be at that time is, yeah, impressive. Yeah, because I was wondering, how do you think on the transition went on their end? You know, seeing your, seeing you get up to go to the bathroom mm-hmm. and um, they could probably sense the mm-hmm. tension. Um, do you think they handled that well? Or Yeah, what? so my dad's a social worker and so he kind of already has some of the like compassion instilled with mm-hmm. him and the empathy kind of already in him um and so but at the time i didn't realize that i didn't realize that he had kind of had an inkling of what i was doing um but i also was very cognizant of the fact that i was projecting onto him i mm. knew i didn't like him mm-hmm. initially mm-hmm. but i knew he was the nicest man but that's fair on your part yeah um, you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i yeah, think he was yeah that's yeah and i think he recognized that exactly. i think um because he's a hugger mm. and he at first he didn't know what was going on with me it it was actually i didn't tell them right away when i moved in what was happening Mm. they just took me in kind of not knowing what was going on so i think it may have been about a year before i told them what was happening after i had moved in really yeah that's interesting so he 
initially within like the first three months would always hug me and like, you know, hey, he's a hugger. And I would just kind of like tense tense up. Um, And then without saying anything, he just, you know, he would would modify the way he hugged me Mm -hmm. if a hug was necessary or he just kind of wouldn't. He just kind of gave me that space. So I think for him, even though he didn't know what was going on, he knew something was going on. Right. With that social work background too, he just kind of could mm-hmm. tell what he needed to do around me. My mom, my new mom, she was very much, she's in, in charge. She takes charge. Mm-hmm. And she wanted me to just be in the family and to feel a part of the mm-hmm. family. And so I think, not that she was trying to rush the process, but she so wanted me to feel mm-hmm. the love that she was going above and beyond to make right. me feel. you know. And that actually kind of... It worked, but it was also like a uh, kind yeah. of thing. And like, it takes time to process these yeah. things. I mean, you went through so much trauma. I mean, even a year in the house, to me, I, I, I don't know. It would be, it would still take like a couple years for me to get acquainted. Just, <laughs> yeah, you know. definitely. But um, that's good. Yeah. Um, so how did the relationship with the siblings, how did that go? How did they accept you? Oh, the, my new siblings? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah, they loved me. Shout out the gate. Because okay. um, they're younger anyways. Yeah, they were, at the time, they were one or one and a half, two, six, and 10, 11, something okay. like that. Um, and before I moved in, they knew me from working with their mom. And mm-hmm. so they would come to the job a lot. And right. I would even babysit for them. So okay. they knew me kind of off the bat. They referred to me as their, first I was their cousin, then I became their aunt, mm-hmm. and then I became their sister. Oh, so, so yeah. sweet. Yeah, they're cute That's kids. Sweet. Yeah. A couple of them... One or two of them joined the family through adoption as well, right? Yes, Others? just one, the just oldest one. one. Okay. Um, okay. My dad was married prior to um, my new mom, and they adopted him. So he adopted my little brother through his first marriage. Okay. Um, and then they split after my brother was about, I think, just about two. Okay. And then my new mom came on the scene and then adopted my brother as well. So, okay. Yeah. So okay. there was some... Um, I guess normalcy to that in the family. That a little joined. bit, a little bit. The my little brothers didn't know he was adopted. Oh, really? Um, okay. And actually, my brother himself did not know he was adopted. Oh. Um, my parents actually just told him, not just, but it's been a couple years now. So and oh, he's twenty one okay. now. So he's um, he's autistic, and so things for him, he processes things a little bit yeah, differently. Sure. Yeah, sure. Okay, um, that makes sense. And so I think my dad just kind of felt like there was no real emergency, no like. Need, need to tell right. him right off the bat kind of thing because he was already dealing with so much. Sure. Um, but there's a di- I think there's a difference in kind of the way we relate to the family. He was adopted mm. pretty much straight out the womb. so mm-hmm. And I came on 17 years after mm-hmm. the fact. So mm-hmm. their relationships are a little bit different. Mostly, actually, I would say for extended family than for mm-hmm. um, immediate. But. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Can you talk a little bit about how the extended family impacted your adjustment to the family as a whole? Yeah, I um, it was that was one of the challenges I think mm-hmm. in being adopted. After I kind of suppressed my own traumas and just focused on being adopted, that was one of the bigger challenges that I had, just mm-hmm. because I didn't feel accepted at all by the extended family members on both sides, my mom and my dad's side. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact. My dad's side, most of them didn't speak to me for several years after I had been. Didn't even speak to you. Yeah. So my they went, My mom loves to host parties. And so they would come over and it would be like I was just kind of a figure oh, in gosh. the house. And so it was real because they're a very tight knit family. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I don't know, I guess change isn't something that they necessarily uh, accept right away. Did your parents ever like make a grand announcement or have like a, an adoption party? You know, no, we didn't you? have an adoption party. <laughs> my at first, my dad didn't believe me that his family was standoffish mm. toward me, and my mom actually she was a little skeptical at first. But then I was like, well, just look. Mm-hmm. Just the next time you have a party, just look. I'm not yeah. making this up. And it was we did it purposefully. My mom, my dad, and I stood right there in front of the door and waited for people to come in. And as they came in, family members would hug my mom, say what's up to my dad, and walk on in the house. And so it was then that my dad was like, oh, wow, this can't right. stand. Okay. Um, so he sent actually an email to, because they have this huge email mm-hmm. chain that the entire family is on. And so he sent a blast email. and was like, Crystal's my daughter. She's a part of this family. And if you can't accept her, you can't accept what this family mm-hmm. is about. Right. So... Um, Good after for that, them. yeah. It, now, did things change after that? Do you yeah, feel? it did. Not right away. Right. Not right away, and not with everyone. Mm-hmm. I think to this day, there's still a couple of people who kind of don't really know why I'm there. You know, it's mm-hmm. one thing when you adopt, especially if you adopt formally, mm-hmm. um, a younger kid. But it's another thing when just this seven, this grown up, just kind of shows up. You yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think a lot of them just kind of didn't know why I was there. You know, they just didn't really get. Mm-hmm. While all of a sudden my dad is calling this stranger daughter, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, yeah, for I think some of the most resistant ones now are like, oh, my niece, you know, yeah. or oh, my cousin or mm-hmm. kind of thing. So well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot better. Um, so the first year or two after um, you moved in and after your adoption, were you in contact with um, your biological pa- uh, family? Yeah, I was. I stayed in contact with my mom for about maybe a year or two. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe about a year or two after I left. Um, so for that first year, I remember I wasn't with my biological family. I mean, my adoptive family um, consistently. And so within that year, I still spoke to my mom. And then when I moved into my new family, she wasn't, she wasn't happy. In mm-hmm. fact, she told me that if I left them, my biological family, officially, that I could just forget her as my mm-hmm. mom altogether, which mm-hmm. was tough because even though I wasn't living with them, I wasn't running away from her. I was running away from him. Yeah, because mm-hmm. he was the abuser, right? Yeah. And yeah. your mom just was Let it, just, not just, yeah, but allowed it she happen. was yeah. unable to stop yeah. it. Exactly. And which I know now is still a form of abuse, but yeah. at the time, she was sure. my mom. You yeah, know? Oh, so yeah, we were. Mom is to protect you. <laughs> exactly. You know. So I was still kind of... Um, Wanting that. I was still mm-hmm. wanting her to want me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I still stayed in touch with her for a while. Now, um, so I think a lot of times when we talk about adoption, we talk about transracial adoptions, you know. But your adoption, you're African-American. Well, you're, you're Jamaican. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You're Jamaican-American. <laughs> and you were adopted into an African-American family. How... Was that? Did you feel a difference? Did you culturally? Yeah, there was a big difference. Um, and I didn't, it's interesting because I didn't think there would be because mm-hmm. in my head we're all black. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad is half white, but um, when he's I black. moved, but yeah, he's <laughs> black. <laughs> <laughs> when I uh, moved into their house, 
everything was different. Like in my biological family, we were a Jamaican family living just happened to be living in America. Mm. Nothing about what was happening inside of our homes was American style, you know? Right. Um, and so, and I didn't really realize that impact until I moved out and realized, wow, Americans do things very differently right. than what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Even though I was in school and had all my American friends, it's different than the home life. Right. Of course. Yeah. So, Your safe space. Yeah. yeah. So that was definitely, a, it was almost like having a culture shock mm-hmm. within the same, oh, yeah. you know, but... Um, the food was gone, yeah. <laughs> which was probably one of the Sad. hardest things to let go. Oh yeah. <laughs> now, did gone. your um your adopted mom, your mom, um, did she cook any Jamaican food? Did she go out of her way to kind of and kind of take on some traditions? No, and that's I th- I never said anything to her about it just because she had already done so much for me. But mm-hmm. I think that was one of the things I would have really liked or mm-hmm. appreciated. Um, no, we didn't really try to, she didn't try to help me assimilate in that fact, but I don't think that she recognized right. that I was missing that. Yeah. So, Just like uh, you said, cause you're all black yeah. and you probably, she probably didn't even really think about right. it. I mean, sense. you hear me talk, I have zero accent, you know, I look like every other black American. So mm-hmm. I don't think she really mm-hmm. realized what I would be leaving behind and mm-hmm. switching cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, she didn't. But I think but, if I said something to her, she would try. Yeah, but I I think that's an interesting theme, right, that we hear from adoptees often is this feeling like um, it's hard to advocate for your, yourself to that. Mm-hmm. It, it, to a certain extent, it's hard to advocate for yourself because you feel like you should be grateful and they've already done so much. Yeah. And so asking for more mm-hmm. feels somewhat a somewhat like a betrayal of yeah. what she's already done mm-hmm. is that accurate that's definitely accurate yeah. um i mean the first couple of years that i was there i i remember i got in trouble for not speaking back for not talking back to her really? like yeah she was like say something talk right. back to me we were in an argument but it wasn't an argument it was her yelling at me right. and me not saying anything back yeah. And she was like, you have to, I, I don't know what you want unless right. you mm-hmm. say something. Right. Because I just would, I'm not going to say anything to upset you. I'm not right. going to go against anything you ask. I'm going to always do what you ask because you've given up so much for me to be mm-hmm. here. Yeah. So, and now, and now I I'm think, spoiled. Well, I think that you, because you came in as a, a more mature person, mm-hmm. you were, you, um, you believed that a little bit, you know, you had the capacity to recognize that. Um, sacrifice that mm-hmm. she had made to bring you into your family, but I think a lot of kid, you know, kids at an earlier age would never really recognize yeah. or think about that sacrifice. But there's still this sort of unspoken. This can't. There can be this unspoken thing because you're saying like, if you had said something to your mom about your Jamaican culture being mm-hmm. really important, she probably would have done something to incorporate yeah. that. Um, but there was this sort of unspoken culture in the family mm-hmm. i guess that you would just yeah that wasn't intentional on her part by no any not at all. Just, yeah just the way it went um they're they're very accepting and she loves um different cultures that was something else that was different than from moving to my from my jamaican family my jamaican family is very black and white mm-hmm. in their thinking mm-hmm. um very anti american american yeah. very anti like gay lesbian homosexuality you know lgbtq plus um, just very staunch in their thinking. Mm-hmm. And my um, new family, they're so accepting of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one of the examples I always give, my best friend since I was five, he's white um, and a guy. And my biological family just did not accept him. Just mm-hmm. did not. They just had the worst to say about my relationship with him. And we were friends. It was not even a, 
romantic, um, romantic relationship. Yeah. Uh, but he's best friends with my dad. They got along. My new dad. They got along so well immediately. Mm. The first time he first time he came over um, when I was living with my new family, my mom like cooked him a meal. So you know yeah. they were the difference was he wasn't even allowed to come over to my mm-hmm. biological family's house. My new family was like bring him over, mm-hmm. and now my mom mm-hmm. like likes him more than she likes me sometimes. So, <laughs> uh, well, that's a way that they incorporate it. Like he's sort of in some ways was a part of your culture or yeah. at least your life before yeah, coming, right. so that they did that. Well, I think it's I think encouraging. So. Yeah. Again, never even about the Jamaican culture, not to paint your adoptive parents in like a a light like they didn't do what they were supposed to do, but it just be it's so complex mm-hmm. all exactly. of the things, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's easy for for people to miss things even yeah. if it's coming out of the I most mean, on loving their, place. Exactly. On their for their part. There's so much that comes with adoption, like you just said, that it's almost like you can't, it's almost impossible to be aware of everything, everything, especially if the kid or the adoptee can't verbalize what it is at their need. Right. Sometimes the parents, I feel like, don't even realize what, that they're not meeting a need. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So uh uh I think for the tools that she had and from what I was giving her and him, my um, new family, they did the absolute best they could. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't, I really wouldn't change anything because it's brought me to where I am now sure um, and I'm thankful for where I am now and mm-hmm. I owe a lot to them for where mm-hmm. I am now um, obviously there are things that I wish back then that I was thinking oh I wish we could do this I wish you could do that but I couldn't see foresee the future right um, and so you know they play the cards they have you know mm-hmm. they did a good job they're mm-hmm. doing they're doing a great job they're doing a great job yeah that's good so can you talk to us a little bit about um I don't know where to Tell us what you're doing now in terms of your your life and your yeah. education and all the wonderful things you're doing. I'd be happy to. This makes <laughs> me so happy to talk about. Um, right now, I am rounding out my last year at graduate school. I am mm-hmm. in the clinical mental track for counseling, mm-hmm. um, getting my master's in counseling Yay. and play therapy as well. So I'll be working with my, my end game is to work with kids with a traumatic background, much like my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost like my way of paying it forward. Um, but I'm just, awesome. yeah. And I really love the adoption demographic. And to narrow it down even further, the kids in adoption who have multiple traumas. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like that is a category that most people don't quite know how to work with just sure. because there is so much behind it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and just like our voices are unheard and our stories are untold, when you add more traumas to it, it becomes even mm-hmm. more forgotten and unheard. Sure. So um, just kind of shedding light on that yeah. is a passion Amazing. of mine. Thank you. So that's that's what I'm doing. Um, and not only are you doing it just to kind of give you a little, but you were the student of the year or yeah. the, the century of the century. <laughs> you are do, you are not just doing yeah. it. You are doing it yeah. really well. Thank Crystal, you. Thank so that's you. Awesome. Thank yeah. you and so I, much. Yeah. And I think, too, um, you being the the, uh, the student of the century. I think, <laughs> we just totally gave her a one thing I love is that you're doing the work behind it, right? So mm-hmm. you're going into um, a career that requires transparency. I think it requires you to look within yourself yeah. and um, analyze and dissect your trauma. I would, yeah. I, you know, mm-hmm. I think to be an effective counselor. So um, I think you doing the work at school and doing the work within yourself has made you the student of the century. You know what I'm saying? Something mm-hmm. that reflects. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, 
someone said to me the other day on my Facebook feed that, you know, something like you're getting all the awards that that school has to offer kind of thing. And at first, I think in my head, I tried to negate my success and just like, oh, it's a luck thing. But then when I think about it, like I'm really putting in the work right. you know, not to yeah. pat myself on the back here, but this is, I'm so passionate about this. Like mm-hmm. this, I feel like is my true calling. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing my own background, I feel like I can't step forward without giving back, without turning this around right. into a positive story. Mm-hmm. I really could let this swallow me up because, yeah. you know, I've been through a lot, but I really feel like I do have to be transparent because mm-hmm. So many of these kids feel like no one understands what they're going through yeah. kind of thing. Um, and so if I can just, I don't know, use my story to make somebody like somebody else's life a little bit easier, mm-hmm. um, I'm all for it. And so I've, I've been trying to use the school in whatever way I can, getting all their money and scholarships and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, ha- they have it. <laughs> right? They have it yeah. and, and buttloads. Um, but yeah, so I'm trying. I think that's such an encouraging part of your story for adoptees, for adoptive parents whose kids might be going through hard things as teenagers or whatever, to just see that you, you know, to think about where you are now and where you're sitting in today and where you were sitting at the age of 16, where you were running away from home frequently and you were just sort of in the state of turmoil and how you, you, you are using that story to be better and to yeah. give back. And, and I think that's just mm-hmm. really encouraging. We never know, like our, our kids' stories aren't, aren't finished. Yeah. Right? Like we just there's have, a yeah. lot that's still coming. Yeah. And, and I think it's good too. Like, I think a lot of people um, adopt young, adopt kids younger, mm-hmm. um, just because I think they think like they have more control of the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think it's good too, that you were adopted at an older age, but your story still is beautiful and, and it's ending well, or it's going to end well, you know, like yeah. it doesn't matter. And I think um, it's in, hopefully it encourages people to adopt older kids as well. Yeah. Um, because yeah, it's, there's a need for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the amount of kids 16 to 17 years old in the foster system is just heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would love to, that's the end game too, in my personal life, to adopt or foster older Mm -hmm. teenagers um, just because they're so forgotten and so left behind. They've lost that cute factor, quote unquote, you know, Mm -hmm. which is terrible because they have so much to offer. And then you just don't realize how much is impacting their future to Mm -hmm. kind of just be those forgotten kids in Mm -hmm. the system. Mm -hmm. So it's tough. Do you mind sharing a little bit about the work that you've done on yourself and like as you've processed your own story as you've become an adult and gone through the counseling program and and all that stuff um, yeah. what have you had to work through it's been it's been really tough actually because i think for the most part i was trying to suppress it mm. um, like i said earlier i did tamp a lot of it down to focus on the adoption part and so in doing that i stopped focusing on the traumas behind mm-hmm. it yeah which was what i needed at the time but as I grow up more, it is just trying to crawl its way back to the surface. Mm. Um, I mean, I was borderline suicidal mm-hmm. at the age of 16, 17. I keep looking back from where I am now and just have to like smile because yes. at 16, I didn't want to be on this earth. I didn't really see the need. I didn't see my purpose. I didn't see my future. I mm-hmm. lost all faith in God and humanity and everything. Um and then my new mom showed up. But since then, I've been in therapy, in and out of therapy. Um, I'm actually in therapy right now, and I love her. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it's just been wonderful. She's forcing me, <laughs> not mm-hmm. forcing me, but we're working through my traumas. And that's something mm-hmm. that I've neglected all this time because right. mm-hmm. I keep trying to not focus on it because it is so hard to think mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Well, I also think it's really hard to do the like the work that you need to process your your traumas unless you're feel unless you feel stable and safe yeah right and so sometimes it takes you can't do it it's often really hard to do it while you're in the trauma Mm -hmm. certainly so asking you to do that at 16 17 18 is a really Mm -hmm. not very realistic no not at all and then it takes some time to like even be able to say what happened to you and to be able to start to process that yeah and this program too being in the counseling program really forces you to i mean because What's the saying? You can't you can't pour from an empty cup or something like that. No. Like you can't yeah. give. You mm-hmm. know what I mean. And so the program really forces you to look inward. And I got really lucky. Um, I have really great supervisors and really great professors that are very supportive and very. You know, some of them know my personal story and have really helped me through it. And they help me see when I'm. I guess we call it counter transference. When I'm bringing mm-hmm. what I've been through and putting that onto my kids, and yeah. so they help me see that that's what I'm doing. Sometimes when I can't connect with my kids and the mm-hmm. people I work with, it's because their stories remind me so much right. of myself. Yeah. And so I have to start looking inward. Mm-hmm. It's just no way to, to continue in this program and to be successful in this program without doing that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, when I talk to a lot of adoptees, a lot of adopt- adoptees kind of start looking at their story once they have kids, right? Yeah. And I know you don't have kids, but I, I love how you're kind of going through the process because of the you, like you the um the career you've picked. If you mm-hmm. didn't pick that career, I'm just curious to wonder if you would be in the same space that you are now. You know, yeah, Marilyn, I wonder question. that all the time. Like really? I wonder what I would be doing if I wasn't doing this. Like right. I before knowing that this is what I wanted to do, I thought about teaching. Mm-hmm. Um but you can you can sit in front of a classroom and spew out what's in a textbook all, all right. day kind of yeah. thing, you know. Um, so I, I did wonder, I do wonder mm-hmm. what I would be like had I not started this program because, um, before I started, I was kind of just going through the motions, you know, mm-hmm. just day to day, mundane, waking up, going to bed kind of thing. I wasn't depressed at the time, but it was just a, just get through it kind of, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And now it's like, I wake up like, yes, let's start kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? I so. love that. Thanks. And I love that you probably wouldn't have gotten there without the trauma. Not yeah. that I'm glad that the trauma happened to you <laughs> by any means, but just to see that that to see that work as you look as you like zoom out and look at your story yeah. and a big picture to see that that as that was weaving through, there was a purpose to yeah. that um, to yeah. lead to the calling and the passion. Of that course, you I mean, I used to ask why me all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, I bet I had. God forbid anything happens to any of my biological siblings, but there were four of us. And I just always wondered, what did I do or didn't do to be the mm-hmm. one that was picked for this traumatic mm-hmm. experience? Um, I'm glad that nothing happened to my other siblings. Um, and I see now that it is just a part of my story. Mm-hmm. It just it got me here. Um, granted, I would go back and never have it happen, obviously. Sure, for, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For my 12-year-old self, but... Um, I I wouldn't I who I am today is shaped by what I had to go through and right. how I reacted to what I had to go through. Yes. So yeah, right, yeah, re- your reaction. Yeah, I think you you know you kind of you know people even non adoptees you go through trauma you go through things and it's how you kind of step into your greatness. Are you mm-hmm. going to kind of accept it and grow from it, or are you going to kind of back away from it? And yeah. um, you definitely took it and grew from it. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, my mentors can tell you better than I can. I don't always believe everything that I'm saying to you right now. Sometimes there are days where I'm like, 
I don't I don't know why I you know I don't know why you picked me I don't know why I'm you know people think I'm doing so well sometimes I'm more hard on myself and yeah. you know I just don't believe it sometimes I have just those days I think that just comes with trauma mm-hmm. um, but in the grand scheme of things I know that you know I'm doing I'm doing all right I'm doing yeah. the work and I'm doing all right do you have a relationship with your biological siblings that just one. Okay. Um, unfortunately, my sister, who was two years older than me, she was she was there um, the whole time with me going through it, and she kind of blamed me for um, mm. my traumas and what was happening in the abuse. And she took my mom's side, which was ironic because my mom didn't have a side in this kind of thing. There was whose side to take, kind right? Of thing. Um, and so she. Uh, I don't know. She didn't. She didn't support me the way I needed her to. And so we. I tried to have a relationship with her, but I knew that I wasn't being congruent with with that relationship. And so mm-hmm. I had to let that go. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother also blamed me, actually, in a very violent way, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. And you know, with my brother, sometimes I just. My mom was not the best mom to him either, and he's got his own personal traumas. And I think the sure. way he handled it, the way he, the way life. The cards that life has dealt him, he is having a hard time handling it. And so I think it was more of a projection of that onto me than, than anything yeah. that I was mm-hmm. going through. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I can't forgive right now some of the ways that he mm-hmm. handled learning what happened to me. He was actually the last to know in the family what happened. Um, and it was year, he learned years after the fact. And so I think mm-hmm. the other part of that was he's my brother. He's the second oldest of the four of us. And he was in the home as it was happening. And I think... He blames himself. Yeah. yeah. Because he's he's six years my senior and I think he just thinks I was supposed to protect you and mm-hmm. I failed. Mm-hmm. Um but what a hard burden yeah, to carry yeah. like, and be able to admit that out loud. Exactly. Yeah. And so just kind of the way he lashed out about it was more than I can forgive right now. Sure. So yeah. I am not in contact with him either, which is unfortunate because I have a niece and three nephews and I'm not able to see them. But mm. um so I but I am in touch with my one sister. She actually left that she's also gone through her own abuse in the family um and so she left the family years before most of this started happening and oh. then my parents my biological parents they ostracized us from her um for about 10 years and so we went 10 years without speaking to each other ever and we lived in the same town wow. um, but we reconnected since then and so she and i have kind of built our own family because she's the only biological sibling um that i have that i am still in touch with yeah um, so she's my last connection to to that part of me. And it's important to still, I well, I don't know. Is it important to you to still be connected to that part of the part of yeah, you? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's still such a strong pull sometimes. Yeah. Um, I, I would say I get enough, like my sister, my relationship with her kind of fills that void sometimes and sometimes it, it isn't enough, uh, but I'm working on it. Yeah. I don't, I don't, it's not necessary to have, Real relationship with my biological um, mom and siblings and stuff, um, excluding my sister, my other sister that left, my brother that left. It's not necessary, but I still feel that connection. Yeah. Um, I think I think what it really boils down to is I'm in a family now where I don't look like anyone, mm-hmm. and I'm not like anyone. You know what I mean? I and no one has my memories, kind of thing. No yeah. one has pictures of me as a kid, and so right. I feel disconnected to my 
six-year-old self, my 10-year-old self, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I'm constantly clawing for that connection. Yeah, I oh, that, yeah that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you know, you get it. Yeah. Um, and so my sister, she can, when I'm with her, she can tell me memories of my, she can tell me stories. She's 12 years older than me, so she can tell me about what I was like as a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my mm-hmm. adoptive family can't give me that. Mm-hmm. So those pieces of me, I actually just found a picture of myself as a kid, and it's one of three now pictures that I have of myself as a kid. No, only three. And so, yeah. And yeah, I guess at 16 or 17, when you're running away from home, you're not like, oh, I when should I take my pictures, baby right? with me. <laughs> or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. Fun. So. Well, yeah. Uh, but yeah, she she's cool. We we fight like sisters do, but yeah, I love her. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, I want to ask one last that thing before we wrap up, uh, but I'm curious if you would share a little bit about what it was like for you walking into the um, adoptee, so adult adoptee support group and what that has been for you. And yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it was such a cool experience just because at first I didn't think that I, that's what I needed. I didn't mm-hmm. think I needed to um, relate to other adoptees because you know when I started I started off letting you guys know hey I'm not like y'all my story is so not like y'all and so I don't want to take that away from you because I'm not a typical adoptee you Mm -hmm. know I wasn't actually legally adopted and I think that's what I started off telling y'all I wasn't legally adopted Mm -hmm. just so that y'all would know that I'm different kind of thing yeah not and then I'm a superior different but like I don't know if I belong here kind of different um but y'all were so, like, the ladies that were in the group immediately were so, like, you're one of us. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter how you were adopted. You get it kind of thing. And it was one of the first times, really, that I felt like I belonged somewhere in, mm. in a really long time. Mm. Um, so that was, it was really helpful. As we go along, the pro- as we continue our sessions and stuff, some of the differences that we have become more apparent to me. Yeah. Um, just because that's kind of my natural inclination to not feel like I'm a part of something and to constantly tell myself that I'm not a part of it. So, you know, all of y'all have kids and are happily married kind of thing. And I'm not, I don't have kids. And like you just said earlier, the way that y'all connected with your kids and how that played a part Mm -hmm. in your adoption story, I don't have that feeling yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I know one session we were talking about it and that was kind of the topic of the conversation. And I was just kind of sitting there like, wow, that's so beautiful. Like, Will I ever have that kind of mm-hmm. thing? But I just couldn't relate. Mm-hmm. Um, but within it, within the group, it's really cool to just be able to sit back and hear, hear y'all's story and hear mm-hmm. how there's no two adoption story. You know, there's no there's, same. Yeah. I yeah. think that's one of the things I was struck by, too, is that your your story is so different, but mm-hmm. there still seem to be themes that you can pull out. Yeah. And, and that you can to. relate to. Yeah. And that it was that there that everyone mm-hmm. in there. Um, very much claims that you belong <laughs> if you might not yeah. be able to produce a adoption decree yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know, it, I think it's interesting, too, because, um, I mean, I'm part of the group. And even though our stories are very different, I s- tend to um, hear a lot more validation from you. Mm-hmm. Like, in a sense, like your story, I'm like, okay, we're completely different. And, you know, with our stories, but there's a lot of truth in it. And there's a lot of things I'm like, okay. It totally happened differently, but I can totally understand mm-hmm. where you're yeah. coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, yeah, there's, there's some things, you know, like, if I had the chance to meet my biological parents, I would jump on it in a second. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't even, I don't think I'd bat an eye. I'd be like, yep, I'm there. You know, where some adoptees are 
more nervous, more scared. It just takes time, mm-hmm. you know. So just yeah, it's just it's different. And sometimes I may not, I don't understand either. Um, and so they, I'll just kind of sit back and kind of like, okay, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. it's still a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know all of the all of the ladies have wonderful stories, and their opinions may not always line up with mine but it's a learning opportunity i think Marilyn, that sometimes there are things that you say that i relate to a little bit mm-hmm. more and then of course you know not to make this about race but the obvious is we're both black and so mm-hmm. we, it might not be obvious as people aren't like looking at oh. you right now so it's good <laughs> to specify uh-huh. yeah and well we're both but, black yeah, and then you're, you're jamaican and i'm haitian and you're haitian yeah. right, right and so right. we understand the complexities and the differences of being african-american right. and haitian and jamaican-american mm-hmm. in the united mm-hmm. states when i shared the story of the colorism you know, mm-hmm. you immediately knew what I was talking about and exactly. how that would be impactful. Not that the ladies didn't want to learn, but it's sure. one thing to have to kind of explain it. And it's another thing to kind of inherently lived it. Yeah, and lived it. it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was really interesting. Just making that connection. Um, right. I yeah. Do. Just kind of like you said a few minutes ago, like how. Because um, people would assume because you're black, you look like your family members. But you said that nobody in your family looks like you or acts like you. Yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and so there's a fact of colorism in there. Yeah. That people just don't talk about. Right. Mm-hmm. My brother that was adopted, he's also I'm of a darker complexion, much darker than my siblings and uh, and my parents. My, like I said, my dad is half white. My brother that was adopted, he is he is as dark as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times people kind of look at us separately mm-hmm. than they do the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. And they, they want to automatically. We went to dinner one time and as a family. And the guy brought back two checks, one for my mom, for the brothers, and Seriously? one for me and my mm-hmm. little brother that was adopted. Because he wow. assumed that he was yeah. my kid and, or whatever. And that's the stuff that happened. You know, like that happened to me because... I'm black and right. my parents are white. Right. That's stuff that you would assume. Right. You know, not saying it's right, but to me, I'm like, I just, that's ridiculous mm-hmm. that that would happen to you. Yeah. But, yeah. but I think it also speaks to, again, like to pull out a broader theme, like for our adoptive families that aren't transracial mm-hmm. adoptions, mm-hmm. that are adopting within their same skin color, mm-hmm. that there are still physical characteristics that are different yeah. because not all white people look alike exactly. and not all right. black people right. look alike and not all Asian people right. look alike, mm-hmm. you know. And so that there is still a feeling of otherness that comes mm-hmm. sometimes even in a uh Monoracial, single yeah. race. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, so I just think, yeah, I think that's an interesting dynamic too. That DNA. DNA. DNA does not lie. I mean, I think that's one of the major things that I connect with y'all about is just that feeling of even if we are the exact same color, there's something different mm-hmm. about me, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's, that's, that's definitely a, a struggle. And I don't, it's one that for me, I'm not sure if it'll ever go away because. No matter how much they love me, I did not come from her. I did not come from them. I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't look like my little brothers. They look exactly like my parents, except for the one that's adopted. Mm-hmm. And I don't, obviously. Right, right, right. Um, so that's just one of the, you just look around and you don't look like anyone else. Mm-hmm. That's difficult. I think yeah. we all, as humans, that's one of the most things, we, one of the strongest things we want is that sense of belonging, that oh, yeah, desire to fit in kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, mm-hmm. well, I think that's, um, part of why we we were really excited about you coming on and sharing your story because we know it's different from the quote-unquote typical adoption mm-hmm. story, yeah. but that there are still still such um, prominent themes about your story that we think um, is relatable to mm-hmm. adoptees, to adoptive parents, um, and to birth parents too as they mm-hmm. think about 
the dynamics of adoption. Yeah. So and also parents mm-hmm. who want to foster, you yeah. know, right? Thing, you know, Gosh, I, I yeah. think it just and that's yeah. I'm, I was super excited to have you. Um, <laughs> Thanks. And I, yeah, I think like you, you were saying, it just it it touches a lot of points, you know, mm-hmm. adopted parents, foster care, and I, and I think that's cool, and mm-hmm. I think that's okay. Um, so yeah. I'm excited that you came and agreed to be on the show. Yeah, <laughs> and thank you for being vulnerable, and thank you for, you know, for taking your the heart of your story and turning it into something that will be helpful to other people who've had hard stories. Yeah, it's yeah, really thank you. encouraging and inspiring, and we appreciate your work. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate y'all having me here. This was great. Yay. Right. Good. Sounds good. Thank you. What do I say? Okay. <laughs> I forgot how we closed it. I don't it. know. Maybe just like. <laughs> um, Thank well, you. We were like, okay, well, that's it for today. Um, we haven't decided who we're picking. Uh-uh. Um, okay. Well, we can we can say stay tuned for next week's episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I yeah. think well, yeah, stay tuned for next week's episode, and we're um, we're hopeful that we can get an adoptive parent. I think on yeah. next time, so mm-hmm. that we can hear again uh, just a different side of the adoption triangle, and um, continue to listen to and learn from stories that are typically not told about yes. adoption. Oh, I'm sorry. One more thing, mm-hmm. we're asking. Um, so in like a small, like one sentence, can you say like, what is adoption to you? Um, oh, wow. Um, no pressure. <laughs> Lots of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, adoption is creating a home out of puzzle pieces that may not go together and finding a way to make them fit. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Well, Thank you. that's Crystal Clear's episode. Yeah, See you next week. <laughs> Bye, all. Thanks for listening. Bye.